Well, good morning. Happy Palm Sunday to everybody here and with us online. The joy and privilege we have to be able to gather and to sing, to pray, and to hear the word. It's good for our souls. It's good for our hearts. And I hope and trust that it is an encouragement for you this morning. If you have a Bible, go ahead and open up your Bible to Philippians chapter 3. Uh, we're taking a pause on our series through Ephesians uh, for today and on this coming Friday for Good Friday service at 7 p.m. And for next Sunday, Easter Sunday, to just look at a few verses from Philippians chapter 3. Centering around Paul coming to realize all that God has done for him and for us in Christ. Why that means everything to him, especially the power of his resurrection. We're going to read verses 7 through 11 uh, this morning, and uh, we will work through this passage in these next three times of gathering together. Hope to see you on Friday at 7 for our Good Friday service. I hope to see you next week on Easter Sunday, um, both for the fellowship hour at 9, for breakfast together, and then as we worship at 1030. Let's hear God's word, Philippians chapter 3, starting at verse 7. But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him. Not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible I may attain the resurrection from the dead. God, we come to your word and we pray that you would find a, uh, you would do a work in our hearts, that it would find a home in our hearts. Pray that you would bring a timely encouragement to us. For anybody here who is far from you or her heart is hard, God, we would pray that you would bring life. For any of us here who are weary and worn out, God, I pray that you would bring strength and joy. And for those of us who are enduring and laboring along, God, I pray that you would bring a timely and fresh encouragement and reminder of all that we have in Christ. Would you do that, we pray. To your glory and to our good, in Christ's name, amen. If you were to gain an unexpected, overwhelming inheritance of generational wealth, I'm pretty confident to say that it would change your life. That it would change your life. You wouldn't continue to live like you do now. You might move. You might travel. You might buy all kinds of things or set up your kids' or your grandkids' education or your great-grandkids' education, whatever it might be. You might even give generously to various important causes. And who knows what else you would do with that generational wealth. But everything about your life would change. I feel confident enough to say that. This happened to a guy named Paul. In the words we just read, we read an account of how much change it brought to the way that he looked at his life and he lived it out. And in so doing, he realized very profoundly and very significantly that loss 
is gain. That loss is gain. And that he wanted to live out his life living as if loss is gain. And as he did that, we will see and wrestle with two thoughts. First of all, the loss of all things. Why that's a gain. And then the gain of Christ. Why it's easy to lose all things. The loss of all things and the gain of Christ. The loss of all things. So what is then this loss? Look again with me at verses 7 and 8. But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ. Paul is clearly stressing that what he used to have is a loss and that he has lost the loss. He saw his old way of life as a loss and he's rejoicing in the fact that he has now lost it. He has lost the loss. And he lays this out in an incredible comparison of old and new, of loss and of gain. And you can see that, I think, on the screen for us. As you went through, as we read through these verses, we first saw that he counted as loss. So whatever it was he was looking back on, he counted as loss for the sake of Christ. And then he goes on to say he counted everything as loss. And compared to then the surpassing worth of knowing Christ. He went on to say he suffered the loss of all things for Christ's sake. And then he goes on to even say he counts them as rubbish. Many of you know that the word there for rubbish is the same word for dung in the original language. He counts it as trash, as dung that he may gain Christ. So he is emphatic at what he's doing here. He's stressing that his old way is a loss and he's rejoicing over the fact that he's lost that old loss. As he gained Christ. Whatever the loss is, and he says it's all things, it's clear that Paul wants nothing to do with it. What is this loss? What is this loss that Paul wants nothing to do with? There are three losses I want to bring out for us to think about. Immediately in our context, in the point of what Paul is doing in this portion of his letter, is that he is no longer... Trusting in his self, himself. He is not trusting in self. In fact, he recognizes that trusting in self is spiritual bankruptcy. To trust in himself is spiritual bankruptcy. If you were to just look up, uh, if you have your Bibles or you'll see on the screen, Philippians 3, 5, and 6, he describes this old way that he is no longer eager to cling to. He said that he was, um, you know, he had all the confidence in the world in his old way because he was circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law, a Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law. He said, I was blameless. And he's saying, I'm not trusting in that anymore. Because that is spiritual bankruptcy. It is a loss 
on my soul. And I want to lose that loss on my soul. It shows that Paul is speaking about his old way of life where he was trusting on how good his life was. He was trusting on all his credentials. He was trusting on how he thought all of that that he just rattled off in those two verses added up to God's approval and acceptance. He looked down his old way of living and he saw it as spiritual bankruptcy. It didn't actually add up to anything but bankruptcy. And the point of it is that as we wrestle with that this Easter season, is that you and I are like Paul. We cannot work our way into God's good graces. We cannot earn our way into God's good graces. It would take a totally perfect life to be good enough. And so here Paul calls this sort of reliance on self, on on your attendance at church, your engagement in the things of church. All those things, if you rely on them, you're setting yourself up to a spiritual liability. It's not that it doesn't net enough good, but this whole way of living, from Paul's perspective, in light of what he has gained in Christ, is actually a debit on your soul. It's not that it, it just falls a little short of the mark. It's actually a debit on your soul, making the debt worse. When we live like this, when we think like this, when we think of ourselves, of contributing to what God has secured for us through Jesus, we will come to find at some point in our lives, just as Isaiah said in Isaiah 64, all our righteous acts are like filthy rags. Trusting in self is spiritual bankruptcy. When you compare it to all that is gained in Christ, There is no comparison. That's one aspect of loss. And if we take the principle of what Paul is saying there, that trusting in self is spiritual bankruptcy, we can actually expand that principle out to say trusting in something else is also spiritual bankruptcy. If trusting in self is spiritual bankruptcy, then trusting in something else, anything else, is also spiritual bankruptcy. It won't net the good that you think it will. It won't provide what you're asking it to. It will only be a debit on your soul. If you make your life about something else, anything else, you're asking it to give what it does not possess. You're asking it to give what it does not possess. And we could chase whatever our culture says is the good life and Our culture will say a lot of things are the good life. In fact, some of you are old enough to know that the culture has said all kinds of things equal the good life. It's changed. The good life has changed a number of times since many of you were in your youth. And if you kept chasing that, you would only find exhaustion and frustration and disappointment. On the other end. And even if you were to gain. What the world holds out to you. As the good life. You would find. That you are bankrupt. 
you would find yourself needing more. Trusting in self is spiritual bankruptcy. Broadening that out to encompass anything, trusting in something else, is spiritual bankruptcy. Paul is delighting that he has lost his loss. His net loss is lost because of what he has gained. Well, there's a third one. There's a third loss that I think if we're going to take the principle of what Paul is saying here in Philippians 3, and if we broaden it out to say something else or anything else, then there is one more loss that I think is especially relevant for our day. And that is this. Trusting in nothing at all is spiritual bankruptcy too. Trusting in nothing at all is spiritual bankruptcy. This is important because I think this is taking greater root than we may realize. We live in a hard world and it's harsh. It's filled with a lot of disappointments. And it's way easier to guard our heart from disappointment by not giving it over to anything. To guard your heart from the sting of disappointment, you don't think anything really matters beyond the simple and easy reach that each day provides. We approach it with short-term thinking to avoid long-term despair. And what happens is when we look at life from that either weary, tired, cynical, sarcastic point of view, the outcome is that what we have is we have a very profoundly sad heart that we guard with a very hard, calloused shell. That we protect that sadness and that longing with the thick coating of embitteredness. Because there are hard things that we've experienced in this life. There are harsh things that we have experienced in this life. Trusting in nothing at all seems like a way to guard us from opening up that heart. But really, it is also spiritual bankruptcy. And Paul's autobiographical encouragement is basically this. I have no regrets bailing on this spiritual bankruptcy. I have no regrets to lose my loss. No regrets to no longer trust in self. No regrets to no longer trust in something else. No regrets to guard my heart and trust in nothing at all. And why? Why does he have such an encouragement to us? Because of what is gained in Christ. The loss of loss is answered with the gain of gain. The gain of gain, the gain of Christ. What is the gain? Well, it's Jesus. There we go. Sunday school answer, we win, right? That's the gain, but oh, there's so much. Look again at 7 and 8 that we're considering this morning. As we see the loss being emphasized, notice how much Christ is. Whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as lost because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, 
I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ. The gain is Jesus. All that Paul accumulated in his life under the old way or all that he could have potentially accumulated with all the good stuff that he was doing through his old way of living is nothing now in compared to Christ. No, in fact, it's more than nothing. It's bankrupt when compared to Christ. And so instead, he says he is delighted. He is overwhelmed. He has no regrets to lose his loss because of all that he has gained in Christ from knowing Jesus. From knowing Christ, he receives this gain. And knowing Christ is profoundly important. It's the most important thing you will face in all of your life. Not knowing where to go to school, not knowing where to work, not knowing who to marry. All of those things are incredibly important. Some of you are on the front end of facing them. Some of you are looking back over years of facing them and and living in light of them. And those are incredibly important things that you will come to know in your life. Nothing is more significant, though, than Christ and knowing him. And knowing Christ is filled with two very critically important things. Knowing Christ and the power of his resurrection, first is trusting. To know Christ is to trust Christ. It's trusting Christ's life, trusting Christ's death, trusting Christ's resurrection for yours. That his life is lived for you. His death is died for you. His resurrection anticipates yours. It is to know Christ and the power of his resurrection is to trust him, believing that Jesus actually delivers. Paul compares it to trusting self. Self can't deliver. If we expand that out and say anything else in this world, it won't deliver. To guard our hearts from being disappointed so we trust nothing, that too won't deliver. But Christ, Christ alone is the one who delivers. Believing that Jesus actually delivers. Trusting Christ. It is waking up to the regrettable decision to trust self or something else and nothing at all. And realizing that it is all spiritual bankruptcy. And running from it. It creates for us a a profound gospel irony, in fact. To wake up and see all of these other ways that we could live as bankrupt when compared to Christ. It creates a gospel irony in our hearts. 2 Corinthians 7.10 says this. For godly grief produces a repentance that leads to salvation without regret. Whereas worldly grief produces death. If you were to wake up and realize that you are spiritually bankrupt... That you have nothing, no net good that you can cling to. No net good that you can count on. That would produce a profound amount of grief. But then when you see all that God is offering, all the gain that God is offering in Christ, that grief moves to radical change where you turn from that which you clung to that brought about your bankruptcy. And you turn to Christ and cling to him in faith. You go from bankruptcy to gain. That grief is moved into action to turn to Christ through faith. Profound work of God and his grace in our lives. 
Conversely, if you are trusting in something else and it realize it disappoints you and it brings about a, a deadening grief in your heart and instead of it turning you to Christ, you just turn to another something else or to nothing at all. It just perpetuates that death. Irony is we do experience grief when we realize we're spiritually bankrupt. That grief moves us right into the arms of salvation. May we experience such gospel grief in our lives. Perhaps you've lived your life trusting anything but Christ. Nothing at all. Trusting your good works for your good life. Warning and encouragement at the same time is that all that ends in grief. It cannot give what only Christ possesses to give. Recognizing this about ourselves will create a crisis, for sure. But this crisis is to draw us to Jesus. To draw us to Jesus. Notice what Paul describes himself as. He was boasting at how religious he was. He was boasting that he was persecuting the church. How arrogant he used to live. How horrific He used to live. And if Jesus has mercy for someone such as Paul. Who said he was good enough for God. And persecuted the church. Then he will have mercy for you. Jesus won't mock you. Or embarrass you. For the way you lived your life. He forgives. He welcomes. And he restores. The loss is no loss at all. When we realize the gain. Is such a savior as Christ. This he offers to you. Through this gospel. All it costs you. Is to look to him. And believe. Trusting. Christ. That's a part of knowing Christ and the power of his resurrection is that you trust him. You say, all in on Jesus. And that knowing Christ and the power of his resurrection isn't just trusting, but it is also treasuring. It is treasuring Christ. It is treasuring him. He is the gain. He is the immeasurable wealth, the, the, the eternally generational Spiritual wealth that is now counted for us in our account. If you were to go home or or not go home, if you were to pull out your smartphone and open up your bank app and see that somehow, some miraculous way, millions upon millions of dollars are now in your savings account. You better move it quickly before your bank takes it. But that aside, you would be so overwhelmed. You You wouldn't even know what to say or do. We have something even far greater that's been transferred into our account. That is Christ's righteousness. He then would be our greatest treasure. Paul's words read like the personal account from one of Jesus' parables. I love this parable. And his words here in Philippians 3 feel like the personal account of 
Jesus' story that he told. It's found in Matthew chapter 13, verse 44. It's a small little parable. But I feel like Paul's words expand from the perspective of the person in the parable. The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and covered up. Then in his joy, he goes and sells all that he has, and he buys that field. His loss was gain. He was happy to lose all that loss in order to gain that treasure. That treasure was everything to him. Note that in his joy, he loses his loss to gain Christ. In his joy, what a profound little detail that Jesus adds to this parable. Loss is gain and and this fuels joy that is sourced by the worth of the treasure. The joy is sourced by the worth of the treasure. Your bank app telling you you're a millionaire would source you a profound joy. Your joy is sourced by the treasure. And this joy runs deeper than our wounds. It lasts longer than our hurts. It sings in days of sorrow because the treasure, Jesus, is of infinite worth. And it's yours. It's been put into your account. So then that makes... Treasuring the treasure, a tremendous privilege and hope and joy in our lives now. Knowing Christ, knowing the power of his resurrection is trusting him and treasuring him. Maybe if you were honest with yourself, maybe you realize you've been putzing around in your faith. Just kind of going through the motions of life. Not really treasuring Jesus or Maybe not realizing the treasure that is Jesus. And so I want to encourage you. How do you then go about treasuring Christ? How do you go about trusting and treasuring him? Well, there are three important ways to do that. These important ways I want you to read about, think about, pray about, and talk about. Read about it. Think about it. Pray about it. And talk about it. Read, think, pray, talk. These three things. Focus your trusting and your treasuring first on Jesus' death. On Christ's death. We trust and we treasure Christ as the Savior who died for our sins. Read about it. Think about it. Pray about it. Talk about it. You find that you've just sort of been eking along in life. Do those things. Put your mind, put your eyes, read and think and pray and talk about Christ's death. That you are trusting and treasuring one who died for your sins. Who took on God's justice for your sins. Who paid the penalty for your sins. Who broke the power of your sins. And who will one day remove the presence of sin from all of creation. Secondly, read about, read about, think about, pray about, talk about Christ's resurrection. It's not just that he died for our sins, though he did. 
but he also was resurrected. We trust and treasure Christ as victorious over death. There is no greater foe that we face in this life than that of death. It will come to us all. But greater than death is he who rose again. You find your faith just sort of waffling along. Read about, think about, pray about, talk about Christ's resurrection. And then thirdly, not only is Christ's death and Christ's resurrection, but it's Christ's ongoing reign. He is reigning and ruling now. That we trust and treasure Christ. In his forever reign over all things, there is nothing outside of it. He is reigning and ruling now. So set your head by reading and praying and thinking and talking about these things. That Christ died, that Christ rose again, that Christ is reigning and ruling now. And as you do, plead and pray. The Lord will warm your heart. Treasure the treasure that is Christ. It is a tremendous privilege and hope and joy in our lives now. This is knowing Christ and the power of his resurrection. This is seeing the loss is a loss, but the gain is Christ. And Jesus was very deeply concerned that we would see that loss is gain. He was deeply concerned that we would see loss as gain. He said in Mark chapter 8, verse 35, For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake and the Gospels will save it. Loss is gain when we see Christ as that gain. So I encourage you, implore you, trust and treasure Jesus. He will never fail to deliver. Let's pray. God, we thank you for your word and we ask that you would press it into our hearts. You would bring timely encouragement to us from it. Uh, For those of us who have been trusting in self or something else or nothing at all, God, I would pray that you would awaken us to the incredible worth of Christ. And that while we might grieve over the way we have lived, God, that that grief would move to repentance, that we would turn from that bankruptcy to the immeasurable worth of Jesus by trusting in his life, death, and resurrection, and by treasuring him as the greatest treasure of our souls. Do that good work in us. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.